Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So, whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, let's start designing. Hey, designers. Have you thought about how social justice is woven into your instructional designs? Is this something that you think about as you're designing experiences for students? On this episode, we are talking with Dr. Lena Bakshi, the founder of STEM for Real. She gives us some concrete ways to integrate social justice into the fabric of our instructional designs. After seeing the limited access that underrepresented students have to math and science and the inequitable systems with education, she decided to start STEM for Real a nonprofit professional learning organization committed to combining STEM content learning and leadership combined with principles of social justice. Now, I'm going to warn you that there are some background audio issues with this episode. We removed as many as possible in post-production, but the message that Lena is sharing was so powerful that I really didn't want you to miss it. So just try to disregard any audio disruptions, and let's go ahead and meet Lena. Welcome, Lena. I'm so glad that you're here at Design Lessons today. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an exciting opportunity, and you don't have to tell me twice to talk about design thinking and lesson planning. I love it. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So I know that you um, have started STEM for Real, and I'd love to hear about you and the sort of origin story. So what made you come up with this idea and and, and why? Yeah, you know, I think as I've always been a math and science teacher, and as I was teaching and learning about STEM, I also saw from this bird's eye view that there's only a select few students that get high quality access to STEM education. And when I say STEM, I mean math, science, technology, like the whole entire acronym, because we think of STEM as this separate entity, and really it's not. It's, It's actually, you know, if you're teaching math, if you're teaching science, and if you're teaching in this interdisciplinary way, I think many of us may be STEM teachers and not know it. And so as I was a math and science teacher, I saw that there were systems of tracking and honors classes and ways that, you know, this set of students got this information and this set of students didn't get information. And so, you know, as a student and even as a beginning teacher, you just go and you just teach. However, when you're in a a school system, you see all the different ways that everything plays out. And, and that, for me, was a wake-up call to say, wow, there are a lot of inequities in the school system. So you've married, you've kind of looked at this and said, okay, how can I really reach like all of my kids? How can everyone have the opportunities to engage in STEM activities and also STEM careers down the line? Um, 
So I guess my question is sort of how have you sort of married those two things of wanting STEM for everyone and then giving um, educators sort of practical tools in order to make that happen? What, what do I need to do as an educator to make that happen in my classroom, in my building, in my district? Yes. Well, you know, as I was transitioned from a teacher to an administrator, I began working with schools and districts and implementing uh, science professional learning, particularly focused on the next generation science standards. And so there was so much focus on content and science and the science and engineering practices and the disciplinary core ideas and cross-cutting concepts. And it was this jargon, jargon, jargon. And then equity became this afterthought. You know, I mean, even in the framework, you see, oh, and by the way, here's a chapter on access and equity. And I noticed that that's what I was seeing in terms of the math and science content professional learning is that we were learning so like all the details about physics and this formula and that. However, really not looking at why and how these systemic inequities are at play and how our students are getting and not getting access. So it really wasn't until I shared spaces with other colleagues that actually were thinking about social justice as well. And one of them uh, focused on social justice math. And I thought, huh, I would love something on social justice science. And it takes a lot to, as much as we want to say that education is always innovating, it's very difficult to change, especially within an institution. And that's where I thought, wow, how do how can we, and of course, I'm impatient. I want change to happen yesterday. Like, okay, we have a problem. Let's solve it. Let's do this. And that's where we decided to take to STEM for Real was born essentially because we wanted to have the you know I was going to equity conferences and I was going to math and science conferences and I thought wow these people need to go to each other's conferences and and we need to have these same conversations so that they're not isolated anymore. So it's taking um, oftentimes equity is a or is a conversation that happened separate from the conversation about curriculum and instruction. And so you're looking, it seems like, or have created a way in order to marry those conversations. So it becomes part of the 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 weave and weft of the curriculum or the instructional planning that you are doing. So that as you're planning for your your science lesson, or as you're planning for your math lesson, or your PBL lesson, yeah, you're bringing all those together, that you're also consciously weaving in um, practices that would support equity for students across the board. Exactly. And, you know, you asked as we're, you know, discussing tangible ways that we can incorporate equity and we can incorporate this work into our lesson planning, that's what we wanted to do with our mission is that, okay, we hear these buzzwords all the time, equity, social justice, and anti-racism. And I've heard things like, oh, is this the new kale? And is this the new trend that we're talking about? When I think that for us, especially wearing my teacher hat, we don't have time for jargon, although it's important. We need to figure out what it looks like, what the examples are, and how we can realistically implement uh, equity and equitable practices in STEM in our everyday teaching. And that's what we wanted to uh, focus on, is that how do we give 
our teachers and our educators a blueprint, essentially, to do this in their classroom yesterday. Love that. So um, I was curious, you said that this sort of started as a book at one point in time, and then it's grown in from an idea that you've had, and it's grown into something that's a larger network and has a greater impact now on schools and districts. So can you tell me a little bit, or us really, um, about that journey and, and what took your idea and then expanded it? Yes. So when I was working in curriculum and instruction, with science in particular, I was looking through all of these textbooks and resources and and whatnot. And the images, the imaging was just so, uh, it was the same imaging over and over again. And for the most part, I never noticed it until, again, I took a step back and said, wow, all of the images about, you know, doing science and studying technology and doing something like that looks innovative, you see an image of a white male. And and this is just as as recent as yesterday when I thought, wow, same same thing, okay. And then, you know, I'm seeing more diversity. However, I'm also seeing, oh, we finally see a black woman and she's carrying an umbrella and stuck in the rain. Oh. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, and I know that someone, whoever the graphic designer was, I know they weren't, you know, explicitly thinking, I'm going to put this white male here and right. this black woman here. However, when you step back and look at the patterns, how did that happen? And, and yeah. how do we disrupt it so that we're actually, you know, cognizantly and if we're thinking about it and it's apparent in our thinking, in our imaging? Yeah. And that's very um, sort of goes parallel to the conversation that we always have about having books for students to read in which characters also look like them or maybe come from their same neighborhood or, I mean, we want windows and mirrors, right? So to not only, it goes, uh, it's very analogous to the literacy conversation that we have around that work. And so now it's like, let's turn that lens and look at the resources, our nonfiction resources that we're providing for students um, so they can have a lens of the work that they can do. Exactly. And that is why we actually, we started off as a children's book because we wanted to highlight real people in this work, in STEM, doing this work. And we started out with Dr. Tyrone Hayes from UC Berkeley, who's a world-renowned endocrinologist and also African-American. So this imaging of an African-American male, we want to normalize it as, yeah, a Black male scientist. And how do we take this real-life story and create a children's book, perhaps at the kindergarten level, so that young Black boys can look at them and see themselves in their learning and say, wow, he looks like me. I can be that too. And that is the, the, the messaging that we wanted to, to take on. And when we saw, when we actually saw the children's book, you know, it started out as an idea. And, and when we saw it published and played out and, and in the hands of our students, we thought, oh my gosh, we have something here where we need to go beyond children's books. And we really have this mission here where how can we collectively create a movement of teachers and educators that are that are dedicated to this work and into increasing our school to STEM career pipeline. So how did you go about doing that? How did you go from starting with the book? I see that you have a lot of people on your team with lots of different expertise. How did you go about 
um, sort of creating that team and, and, and moving it forward. I'm so blessed to have such a great team. And I think it really just when it it started with an idea, it started with this idea and it's, I'm a horrible salesperson. I can't even sell a candy bar. And that's when I thought, you know what, I better have a really good idea and a good enough program so that I don't have to sell. I'm the worst, (laughs) but I just have to talk about an idea and talk about our program. And it's so nice because I feel like it attracts like-minded people that mm. are willing to take this on as well. And and so, yeah, I have this, this great team that says, you know what, let's do it. We can do this. And what is it going to look like? And as we went from children's book to professional learning, it really started with our educators. Our teachers wanted examples. They wanted to know, you know, we hear all these fluffy words, but what do I do with that? I'm a kindergarten teacher and I need to teach photosynthesis and I need to teach about, um, you know, plants and animals and survival. What can I do with social justice and how is it connected? And that's where we started with, well, what's your why? And what's the why behind your instruction? What's that phenomenon that you can create a hook essentially for your students so that you're not convincing them to learn about issues or or like content like photosynthesis. They're actually asking you. They're wanting to know more. Like, hey, why is there so much food here and not so much here? Mm -hmm. And then we take it a step further because, you know, you see phenomenon-based learning throughout the Next Generation Science Standards. So it's all about curiosity and creating a hook. But then we wanted to take it to the next level. So we created the SHS method, Standard Hook Society. So these are the three elements that we want when we think about a phenomenon. So first is the standard. We always want to think about our standards, right? We can't just teach whatever, you know, the wind tells us. So we want to be able to have standards-based instruction. So we think about the standard that we want. Let's say it's photosynthesis. Then we have our hook. So we look at a hook, and maybe the hook is um, a photo of just barren land. and Or or perhaps it's something where there are water plants and they're growing, you know, uh, in darkness. Or, you know, there's something where you're just like scratching your head like, what, huh? And then we think about society. And this is where we can take our, our focus on math and science and we can really think about that connection and that bridge to social justice. Because then we can think about the implementation in our community and in our society. So we can think about things like food deserts. We can think about things like farming, agriculture, and how different communities grow their food how indigenous communities are able to, you know, bury dead fish to incorporate the nitrogen cycle. Mm. So there's so much of this that we want to harness. And we also want to highlight in terms of our community awareness. Yes. Yeah. So I see that. So by following this framework, 
um, people are able to then sort of naturally bring it in. It's not like this extra moment, but it is embedded into the lesson plan and the lesson design or the whole unit design that they're creating. So if, if educators are interested in, in getting involved in your network, how do they go about doing that? Oh, we would love to. We're always thinking about growing our network because doing this work, it takes a village. It takes a community. It takes a network. And sometimes, especially with me, when I first started my teaching career, it's hard to have conversations about implicit bias, anti-racism, racism, looking at our um, practices and, and seeing that students of color are not getting access, and some students are, and where are these nuances in our system? So I really think that uh, having a, a network and having a community allows for that collaboration. And I can see, oh, wow, I saw that you did a lesson on the Chevron uh, gas explosion, the oil refinery that occurred. How did you connect that to the Richmond community? I want to see if I can do that in, in my school or in my district. And you're able to have these conversations. And then what we've also found is that we actually personally work with our schools and districts so that we can provide tailored professional learning just for the school, just for the district, because every school and every district, they have their own initiatives, they have their own set of acronyms that they have to figure out. And so we're able to work with our schools and develop that personal connection with our teachers. And then we're able to lead this network of teachers from all of the schools and districts that we work with, and we connect with them with that follow-up approach, right? So we give them that follow-up professional learning, the follow-up coaching. And, and I know, I don't know if you're like me, you've gone to this amazing training and then you're like, okay, what was that again? What do right. I need to do? <laughs> and so that's why we're there to, you know, see, hey, how did that go? How did that go yeah. in your classroom? And can we, um, can we follow up? Can we fine tune something? Can we revise and learn something? I think that's wonderful to be able to have a community that of like-minded educators. So if you know that this is work that you're interested in, you're able to find people who also um, are, are doing that same work. And then of course, if you, if your team is working with a district, then of course you, um, you know, they have the opportunity to um, work with them as well. Um, so we're at the part in our podcast where we always make recommendations. Um, and this is um, so our three, oh, sorry, our three pillars are mindset and relationships, real world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking, which I think very much fits in with STEM. Um, what educators do you admire that either um, embody one or all of these touchstones? You know, the very first person that I have to think about is Zaretta Hammond. I think that I was really blessed to have her work in my sphere of knowledge early on because she talks about culturally responsive teaching and the brain. And she also talks about uh, really understanding the whole child and thinking about how to incorporate student identity into our instruction. And when we think about culturally responsive teaching, we think about it as, oh, well, maybe that's something for liberal arts or for the humanities. And the science teachers are thinking, you know, I really need to focus on stoichiometry and chemistry, and that's what I'm going to be doing. So for, for me, 
when we can look to our peers and look to people that are doing this work, I I look to someone like Zarena Hammond to really say, you know, how do we take this in our STEM spaces and make this for real? Yeah, because that, that work doesn't just stop in one subject versus another. It makes sense that it's not even subject-based, right? It is as we're teaching children to become young adults and, and, and citizens of the world that they would develop this this cultural competence um, amongst themselves. So um, what books or videos, podcasts would you recommend? What are, what are your favorites right now? What am I listening to? And what, in fact, I just wrote down a book, but I'll tell you one of my favorite authors is Dr. Ruha Benjamin. And she is always talking about, you know, looking at race after technology. And incorporating, like, again, looking at how we're looking at research, how we're looking at technology, and how race plays out. In fact, I just heard a TED Talk where she was speaking about how benches have been designed and how some people design benches with the arms just Mm -hmm. to make sure that people won't sleep on the benches. Oh, God. Yeah, and I guess it's a way to just, you know, make sure that there are no homeless people around. And I thought... How have we come to a society where sleeping on a bench is something that we want to avoid? I mean, come on, I I crave nap time now. What? <laughs> like you said, designing. To, you want to design in a, with a positive mindset, right? We talk about designing our lives a lot on the podcast, but when you think about design from a you know a pure um, like a physical standpoint, when you're talking about this bench what really what goes into design and this goes to educational communities as well. What are, what are the things that you are actively thinking about that need to be part of your design, whether that's the design of your professional learning, that's your design of your instruction. It is the design of how your school is laid out or how your teams are formed. Um, that's, that's a good point that you make there. Yes. And I'm, and I'm actually also our, our organization, we lead um, different book clubs as well. And that's, you know, especially for our summer reading, it's so important that we stay up to date with all of the literature that's out there. And and especially because, you know, this work is essentially, it's revolutionary and it's new. And sometimes when you're spearheading something, it's, it's hard because we want to see what else is out there. And we're running out of leaders to look to. And that's why we, we want this network. We want to, you know, cultivate more. So one of our uh, books that we're actually starting this summer is Revolutionary STEM Education, Critical Reality Pedagogy and Social Justice in STEM for Black Males. And this is from Dr. Jeremiah Sims. And for us, again, having that, um, that niche of looking particularly at what works with Black males, because there, again, are so many stereotypes. And this is actually the work that we discussed, is that how we as educators teach when our students walk into our classrooms with very heavy shoulders as these stereotypes are resting on them. And how do we teach and how do we address that? I love that. I love that. So if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow you, what's the best way to do that? Yes, I would love to stay in touch. You can follow us at STEM for Real. S-T-E-M, number four, real. We're on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Join our Facebook group. It's free. We're constantly talking about lesson planning ideas. 
And if you're interested in having us come to your schools, it's just info at stemforreal.org or uh, my email that we can attach to this link. And, and yeah, I think for us, we really just want to ensure that no matter how you implement this work, you want, you want to know that there is someone out there that is going to be a collaborator with you. So we want to hear how it goes and we want to hear how it's working in your schools. And our website also has uh, sample lessons and resources too as well. Because no matter where you are in your journey, like I said, I think that collaboration piece is very key. And to know that you have a network. I know for me, I have always been a, the, the token brown girl in a room full of white people in science. And it, it can be very daunting. There have been moments when I have wanted to say something and I could, I could hear and feel my voice shaking because there's at one point I'm excited that I've actually, I've made it. I'm in the room. I don't want to leave. I don't want to get kicked out. But then on the other hand, I really want to be able to say, hey, you know, if we're going to host a conference and we're recommending all these keynote speakers, can we have a voice of color? Can we have someone that's, can, that can speak about this? Because if we want to talk about equity and diversity, we shouldn't just wait for the next heinous societal event to happen. We should be thinking yeah. about this all the time. All the time. And I, I, I agree with you about this idea of representation matters, that um, a lot of times we talk about um, building our school staffs so that they reflect the kids that are in the school um, or that they reflect what our nation looks like. Um, and that is so that, you know, kids grow up um, seeing teachers that look like them. Um, and so they can sort of model those things. I remember one day I walked into a classroom um, and I, I literally, it was uh, a young man, a young black man who was teaching and I literally just had tears because I had never experienced that in my whole career, you know, in school. And so, um, I don't know, it is very powerful. And I think sometimes it's something that we, we take for granted. And so, of course, and I do want to say that one of the things like when we, of course, we want to work with everyone and we want to, you know, grow our business and grow our nonprofit. However, it's not for everyone. And someone asked, you know, what are the beliefs that your clients have to have in order to be a successful partnership? And we have to accept that systemic racism exists, that it's an issue in, in our schools. I think if we go in trying to deny that it doesn't exist, then we're going to have a really hard time in order to do this work and rectify these systems that are here and, and just understanding what we can do about it collectively. So you have to be ready. You have to be ready to do the work. That makes sense. Yes. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your mission. Um, in essence, your passion project that is has really grown and expanded. Um, I greatly appreciate you being here. Absolutely. It has been an honor. Thank you so much. So in designing experiences for our students, we can help them to ask questions of why inequalities exist and how they can posit solutions for the future. And also, representation matters. Ask yourself, how do the images and the curriculum materials that I'm using represent the world that my students live in? Food for thought and food for action. Until next time, designers.
This is a more creative learning production hosted by Michelle Schmidt Moore and edited by Christian Schmidt. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.